Well, hello, everybody. My name is Kirsten. I'm so excited to be here with you guys tonight. We are going to continue. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> We're going to continue with our series, I Am, and I'm going to be speaking tonight to you about the series, I Am the Door. So first, I just want to introduce myself a little more to anyone that may not know anything about me. I'm the campus pastor at New Britain alongside my crazy and amazing and pretty hot husband Lenny. You've probably met him. <laughs> and so uh, in the past year, we've uh, had a lot of fun together, but we've also been through some really challenging times where we've been disappointed and had a couple of losses. And I'm not going to get into that whole sob story, but I'm just going to tell you that to tell you this, that this message has become very personal to me. And so I hope that the way it has affected and helped, it, helped me will also affect and help you in a very deep way. So today we're going to talk about another attribute of Jesus in his own words. I am the gate is actually the phrase. Door and gate are going to be interchangeable as they are interchangeable in certain translations. So last week, Pastor Matt expertly taught us about what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. And I've been so fascinated throughout the series to see that these phrases, these I am phrases, don't only show up in John. They also show up in prophecies in the Old Testament, and they show up in the writings of Jesus' followers even after his life here on earth. And so we're going to continue with I am the gate. At the first glance, I thought this I am statement would be kind of straightforward and pretty easy to cover. But I've discovered that there is more and more as we dig into the story. So let's get started. So in John chapter 10, this is the passage we're going to focus on, and we will come back to it again. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So at first glance, let's make some observations about this verse. Let's ask some questions. Who are the sheep? I'm going to give you guys the answers. You don't have to call them out. Um, who are the sheep? We are. We are the sheep in this illustration. So you can fill that in in your notes. And who should the sheep be listening to? Well, they should be listening to the voice of Jesus, not of thieves and robbers. And then this is the part that, of course, we're going to focus on a little more. What does the gate do for the sheep? It does a couple of things. First, so this is how it would work back in a time when you would keep sheep. Your sheep would be out in the fields during the day, and then at night there was a communal sheep pen where multiple flocks and multiple shepherds would keep the sheep to keep them safe at night. And so it did a couple of things. First, it kept them safe from harm at night, keeping them from wandering, and keeping predators out. The second is that it allowed them to live and be nourished in the fields during the day. Obviously, a gate is a swinging door. It is not sealed shut. They didn't stay inside this pen. A gate means that you go in and you come out. So does anyone here uh, keep sheep? Nobody? Okay, if anybody did, I have lots of questions for you, but since most of us don't, I wanted to make this a little more relatable. Has anyone here uh, traveled at all recently or 
Been out of state, I know, COVID. No one's been out of state. Guys, there's so much of the world to see. So <laughs> my family and I recently traveled, um, not out of the country, just to the other side of it. And uh, so we had to get on a plane to do that because we, no, we're not going to drive across the country like that. No, we are not crazy. I mean, we're a little crazy, but not that crazy. And um, so for those of you who have ever flown before, when you get to the airport, the first thing you got to do is get through security with yourself and your family and your luggage. But what is the next most important thing to do once you're through security? Get to your gate. You got to find which gate is yours and then you got to get to it, right? And we all know, this is common sense, that you are not going to get to your final destination unless you go through the right gate. And then have you ever had a gate change? or taking a nap by your gate and woken up and they changed the gate. I've had that happen to me before and I had to take a bus all the way to a different terminal. I could have stayed at that gate and been like, well, this was the original gate, this is more convenient for me, I'd rather stay here, I like the number 24, I'm just gonna stay here. But would I have gotten to my destination? No. And so it's important for us to know that the wrong gate is the wrong gate. And in the same way, we need to choose Jesus as our gate in order to get to the destination we want to get to. So in your notes, Jesus is the entry point to finding boundaries and safety along with life and freedom. Now listen, we could end this message right here. We've gotten a, cool, a couple cool takeaways, and I think it's pretty good too, but as I studied more, I realized there were some deeper things in the larger story. So in order to really understand what Jesus means here, we need to do something a little bit challenging. We need to understand the perspective of his audience. That makes sense. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees. And so the reason I say we need to do something challenging is because the Pharisees are basically the villains of the New Testament. Nobody likes those guys. But tonight we're going to try to put ourselves in the shoes of a Pharisee. So who were they? The Pharisees were well-studied. They were basically people that, you know, so for 1,500 years, the Hebrews had been kind of scattered throughout the world and had lost some of their customs and had not been following all of God's laws. And the Pharisees were basically bringing it back. And they were saying, all right, guys, we need to get back to our roots. And so they were well-educated specifically in Scripture. They were very proud of the fact that they followed the law of Moses, which was the God-given guidelines given to the Hebrews. They were devoted, and it's honestly pretty impressive. It was their job to keep the people in a lifestyle that would honor God. And I believe their initial intentions were good. But at some point, I do think it is fair for us to question what they were really devoted to. Were they devoted to God or just to their own laws and regulations? So for now, let's assume decent intentions from the Pharisees, and then as the story unfolds, We'll make some conclusions from there. So, next. So these Pharisees, they would have been uh, living their life. They're kind of the leaders in the community. And then one day, this carpenter, a nobody who is not studied named Jesus, comes on the scene and is just disrupting things all throughout the country with his little hodgepodge group of followers. Just imagine, as a Pharisee, Imagine the questions you would be getting and the stories you would be hearing. This guy just fed 5,000 and their wives and children. This guy just cast seven demons out of this woman that no one had been able to heal. He just healed this person over here. Imagine what the lay people were saying to the Pharisees. Hey, this guy just did this and this and this. Who is this guy? You know the prophecies. Explain. 
Or imagine, imagine how personally some of the Pharisees may have taken it, that 5,000 people, that many people don't come to my synagogue. This guy has got to be a cult leader. He cannot be up to any good. So they were skeptical, and maybe initially they had some reasons to be. And then Jesus enters their region. They had been hearing all these stories, and then he comes to them, and he really shows them up by healing the town, blind person, and beggar. So let's jump in. We're going to backtrack a little bit from John 10. We're going to go and seek some context to the story about the gate by going to chapter 9. At the beginning of chapter 9 in verse 1, as Jesus is walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? This was a common uh, assumption of the day. This was a common belief. And Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And then throughout the story, Jesus proceeds to call to the blind man. He spits in the dirt, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. And this guy has no idea who he really is and says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The guy goes, he obeys Jesus, and he's healed just like that. And it's so amazing and so incredible that even the locals that know him as the blind man that begs on the corner of, you know, 5th and West Street, are like, don't believe it. They're like, this can't be the guy. This cannot be him. So they bring him to the Pharisees to kind of get some answers here. And so they bring him to the Pharisees. Oh, and I wanted to mention too, this man's family went to synagogue. We see it later in the chapter. They were a part of the community. They were not outcasts. So the Pharisees knew him too. And just imagine that if they had been going to synagogue their whole life, those Pharisees had probably prayed over this young boy at some point, maybe later in his life had said, oh, you know, do, do this X, Y, and Z sacrifice at the temple on Sabbath, and maybe that will somehow atone for your sins or his sins and cure the blindness. They knew this man. And so the Pharisees do some investigation because, again, they're skeptical. First, they verify the man's identity to make sure he, he actually used to be blind, which is fair. Then they question the man, who healed you? How'd he do it? Then they question his parents, who healed him? How'd he do it? And they, knowing that the Pharisees are skeptical of Jesus, go, don't ask us, ask him. He's an adult. And so then they go back to the man. So picking up in verse 24, the Pharisees, for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this healing because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Clearly, they had some pre-drawn conclusions here. He responded, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. Who cares? <laughs> but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Huh, why that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. 
Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You are, were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So let's pause and regroup. Based on what we've learned about the Pharisees, are we surprised that they questioned things initially? No, not really. But what we should all find pretty upsetting is their treatment of this man, a local guy in the community that they were called to serve. That's what they were all about, they said. What kind of leadership is that that would rather flex their power than rejoice in an obvious miracle? So this is where Jesus steps back into the picture. Picking up in verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man was a phrase that was used in the Old Testament to refer to the one that would sit on the throne next to God. So Jesus is basically calling himself God. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. It's important to note here that Jesus is essentially using blindness as a euphemism for sin, since at the time they tied those things together. When he healed this blind man, he was essentially saying that he had the power to do both, to heal the sin and the blindness together. So to drive this point home, I want to borrow a verse that Matt read from last week, and this is from 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So I want to say to you today, if you're in a place of spiritual blindness, if you're in a place where you're not living in the truth, if you're in a place where you're tiptoeing with sin, just know that you can be free and you can be healed, but you have to acknowledge it. We cannot claim to have it all together and to be able to have perfect sight. We need to acknowledge our blindness. In your notes, we are all spiritually blind. Admit it. Confess it and do what Jesus tells you to. Just like the blind man who obeyed, to a total, uh, obeyed a total stranger and went and washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam. So now that we have a clearer picture of the recent interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, let's get back to our I am the gate statement. So the I am the gate illustration that Jesus used was in response to that whole situation and in response to the Pharisees' total stubbornness that they couldn't possibly be blind. 
So picking up again in John chapter 10, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold or sheep pen, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Underline follow and voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. I need you to know that even if you can't see clearly, the voice of Jesus will never steer you wrong. Follow his voice, especially when you are blind. Personally, I've found trusting Jesus when I feel like my world is dark brings tremendous, tremendous peace. When I was experiencing a loss and I was in a dark place, I heard the voice of Jesus, and that is what held me steady, even in the middle of a storm. In your notes, when you can't see clearly, follow the voice of Jesus. So there's one more thing I want to point out about this passage we just read. The illustration of the sheep and the pen and the shepherds and the gate, all of that was kind of a common everyday analogy that he was using to them in that time. But it's not only speaking to their present situation, he's also alluding to past prophecies from the Old Testament. I went looking and there were so many references. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Micah 2. If you want to read up, it's pretty impressive stuff. I'm just going to read a couple of sections for you here today. In Jeremiah, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones that they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Ouch, that should have been convicting the Pharisees. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from David, King David's line. That is Jesus. He came from King David's line. He was born in Bethlehem fulfilling the prophecies. But they don't see the connection. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In Micah 2, it says, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. Jesus promises to lead and guide us well. Now listen, Jesus is referring to himself and saying, hey, model your life after me. So as Christians, we are also called to do the same. We are all leaders to some capacity, whether it's within your family, within a group at school, within your group at work, we are all leaders of someone, and it is our responsibility to protect and care for those around us. So these passages I just read, these are passages the Pharisees should be very familiar with, but they're so tunnel vision about the situation with the blind man that they are unable to see, ironic, the overall story unfolding before them. And they're also unable to see their own failings as leaders. So Jesus' assessment of them being blind is really no exaggeration. 
not only are they blind to their poor leadership, they're also blind to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the very one they've been waiting for for generations. Those who heard Jesus use the illustration about the sheep pen didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them again. Anyone here have had a couple things explained to them over and over and over again? Okay, good. Glad I'm not the only one. Sometimes I'm like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to start over. Explain it like you're talking to a five-year-old. Maybe I'll get it then. So Jesus explains again, and he explains it in a slightly different way. Picking up in John 10, 6, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. You can go ahead and underline that. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Underline listen. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me, underline that, will be saved. Underline that. As we read that last line, I think it begs the question, what does he mean saved? Those who come in through me will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from emotional harm, physical harm, but then I read it again. Those who come in through me will be saved. And I was reminded of another scripture that I memorized a long time ago. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And we're going to talk about this verse later in the series. So it is abundantly clear here that Jesus is speaking of eternal salvation. So choosing to make Jesus our gate, the one where we find our boundaries that protect us and show us how to live, and also our freedom, will help us not only to have an abundant life here on earth, but also an abundant life with him in heaven. Finishing out this section, in John 10, 9, they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. And I'm going to finish out this verse, but first, I want you guys to listen to it, because I'm sure you've heard it before. There's a common verse that's used to talk about the devil and how he's active in our life, but now that we've learned all this, we can see a bigger story. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief is not just the devil. The thief is anyone or anything that, it is, that is a predator against Jesus's sheep. Anything that would distract you, anything that would lead you into a life of sin or darkness, any of the things that would pull you away from the destination that you were meant for, these are the thieves that we should be watching for. We shouldn't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes we've got to blame it on lust, and we've got to blame it on our own issues and our own temptations and our own patterns. The thief is anything that would bring us out of the sheepfold away from Jesus. you got to know that if Jesus is the gate, that he is not, he's not letting anyone out unless they are forcing their way out. Jesus wants to protect you, but if you are walking away from the flock, you're going to be out of the flock's protection. I know for some of us, if we're honest, we can be resistant to the idea of being confined, being enclosed, or even having anyone tell us what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to live my own life. It's been working out fine so far, right? I'm going to be authentic. I'll caution you. That is spiritual blindness right there. So I've got a personal story for you guys. I uh, am notoriously bad at locking doors. I swear I'm better except for right now I'm not 100% sure if I locked my car door. But 
there was this one time that I was doing things around the house and the yard, and I think I went to the grocery store. I went to run some errands, and I left my front door wide open, not just unlocked, wide open. And while I was out, my sister-in-law and my niece came over because Lenny had said, oh yeah, go see Kirsten, she's home. I wasn't, so they're looking around in all the rooms, Kirsten, where are you? And they were a little worried. They called Lenny, is your wife okay? Where is she? I was just out shopping. I am so thankful that in that moment when I left the door wide open, that what happened to wander in was people who loved me and cared for me. But what could have wandered in is someone or something that didn't. And so I want to say this to you in your notes. Do not leave the door open on your life. Don't just let anything in. Listen to the voice of Jesus and let him guide you. Again, in your notes, know and follow the voice of Jesus so that you will run from anything else that would steal and kill and destroy the rich and satisfying life he has for you. I think what Jesus is driving home in this whole message is that if a predator of any kind is going to come for his kids, he's saying, you're going to have to go through me. You're going to have to go through the gate. If you're going to attack her or attack him, you're going to have to come through me. When we are within the confines of the sheep sheep pen, when we are in the protection of Jesus, any predator that would come after you is going to have to go through Jesus. And if we're going to model our lives after him, and if we're going to be like Christ, we need to be those same people to the the ones around us, our children and our spouses and our friends. We need to say, no, 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 no one is going after the people I love. They're going through me. I'm covering them in prayer. I'm encouraging them in the way to go. I'm challenging them to be more like Christ by the way that I live. No, no, you're not taking them down. You're going to have to go through me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your repeated explanations to us. Thank you for revealing yourself and each of your unique characteristics through your word. God, I am so grateful for your word. I am so grateful for your voice. That even when our eyes cannot see, we can listen to the voice that speaks. God, I pray that any person here that has wandered, any person here who has been abused, God, that they would feel the prompting, the gentle leading of you to come back to yourself, knowing that you will not lead them astray, that you will not lead them to harm, that you will not restrict them, but rather that you will show them where to live abundantly, how to live abundantly. God, for those of us who are spiritually blind, and that is all of us, Holy Spirit, convict us. Show us where we are wrong. Show us the ways where we need your healing and we need your guidance to live like Jesus did. Don't allow us to be as stubborn as the Pharisees. 
Help us to see what you are doing in the world around us and not be so tunnel vision about the things that bother us. Let us see your larger story at work, knowing that we are a part of it. For anyone here that wants to accept Jesus back into their life again, or even for the first time, would you just pray with me? Jesus, I confess that I am blind, and I confess that I have sinned. Thank you for sending Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice to take away my sins permanently and lead me towards a life with you. Forgive me for the wrong things I've done and help me day by day to step into your truth and to live life in your path. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me as I am. Help me to become who you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.